Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. The market gyrations have many people wondering where to put their money these days, and that's true for the ultra-wealthy, too. Joining me now on this podcast is Michael Sonnenfeld. He is the president and founder of Tiger 21, an international organization of the ultra-wealthy that work together to discuss their portfolios. And, Michael, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. First, I am curious, where are the uber-wealthy putting their money in this environment right now? Sure. So, um we're 600 primarily entrepreneurs, uh, mostly uh, based in North America. We've just opened up in Europe. And every quarter, we uh, take an asset allocation survey to see where our members are putting their money. Right now, it's about 30% in real estate, 22 or 23% each in private equity, and another 22 or 23 in public equity. And those add up to 74, 75%, which is a very high allocation to risk assets. And then uh, 10% in cash. Interestingly enough, our numbers uh, have historically been closer to 12%. Hmm. And while it's a small difference, it shows a certain amount of confidence, perhaps. Uh, But it also reflects that in a low interest rate environment, you have to invest more to keep the earnings going. So 10% there and then 9% fixed income and 5% in hedge funds, a a very low number. Talk to me about about that 30% in real estate. That seems like a a big bet. Why? Yeah. So first of all, uh, a very large portion, maybe 20 or 30% of our members created the level of wealth that would qualify them to be a Tiger member in the real estate business. We have some of the top real estate entrepreneurs from across the country. So it's not surprising that when you uh, have a liquidity event and you have cash, you're going to invest it in something you're familiar with or, frankly, something that you learn about from a fellow Tiger 21 member who has a deep expertise. But real estate uniquely uh, is income-producing. That's important in in this day and age. And uh, equally important is that If you have the skills to directly invest in real estate, you roll up your shirt sleeves, you can touch and see and feel the asset instead of dealing with the complexity of securities in a public market, which, you know, in in the public markets, one of the problems for an entrepreneur is you're the last to know about a problem and management isn't asking you to help them if you're just a shareholder. But whether it's in private equity or real estate, uh, if there are problems, you can help solve them lickety-split and sometimes uh, turn a problem into an opportunity. Now, you say that 10% cash in the portfolios is a little bit down from what it used to be. So what does this tell us about sort of the mindset of the of the members of Tiger 21 right now? Um, our members are generally uh, positive on the long-term prospects of the American economy. Uh, I'm giving a, a more broad uh, concept. Uh, what do they like? First of all, our legal system. It's still uh, the rule of law more than in almost any other country. Our our transportation system is second to none. Uh, When you look at our not just rails but waterways, uh, we have such an amazing cost competitive advantage against other producers in other countries when you're talking about getting goods goods to market. And then, of course, our energy complex is now second to none. Uh, fracking has changed dramatically. We're over 10 million barrels a day of oil. 
And so our energy prices are dramatically lower. And you see a lot of businesses coming back to North America and particularly the states uh, that are high energy producers, plastics, pharmaceuticals, steel, etc. So we have all these amazing long-term competitive advantages. And, you know, this weekend was uh, uh, the Berkshire Hathaway uh, annual meeting and Warren Buffett talked about if you'd invested $10,000 in the economy via the S&P in 1942, it would be worth $51 million today. How do you that's like a that? 12% <laughs> compounded return, good times and bad. And that's a pretty simple strategy, isn't it? Yeah. So just sometimes do investors overthink it a little bit? Totally. Um, you know, we've had uh, across Tiger 21, although it's only a 50, uh, excuse me, a 22% allocation, our largest allocations are to the five top technology stocks, the Apples, the Alphabets, Googles, Facebook, Netflix, uh, et cetera. But the one non-technology stock, which actually now is getting to be a technology <laughs> stock, is Berkshire Hathaway. And outside of those stocks, increasingly our members are just buying ETFs and index funds because mm. they know that's the, the right way to express uh, their allocation to equities. You say you have about 600 members now globally. Yep. What's uh, the criteria to be a member, a minimum amount of in assets and such? So the first, uh, first of all, you've had to be extraordinarily successful. Uh, the way to think about it is if you look at the major league baseball, basketball, and football players, on average, they're one in 17,000. That's the kind of competition competition it takes to get to the major leagues. Right. For Tiger 21 members, it's about one in 10,000 domestically and one in 100,000 internationally. Averages not far from one in 17,000. So you could think of Tiger 21 as the major leagues <laughs> of entrepreneurial activity. The numbers you're looking for uh, are members typically manage between 10 million and a billion in assets. Uh, the numbers are moving up a, a, a bit over the years. Uh, our, our average member has over 50 million, and statistically our average member has 100 million. Uh, so that gives you a sense of what rare air it is. Um, but the most important uh, qualification, we, we go through extensive background checks. Every member uh, has to be of the highest quality because um, – the confidential activities that go on in our meetings, people are revealing net worths and investments. And if somebody can't freely talk about an investment and be sure that nobody's going to go behind them and do an end run on the investment, mm -hmm. the process doesn't work. So we have zero tolerance for people who violate any sort of confidentiality uh, rule. But you also have to be a lifelong learner and you have to be able to check your ego at the door mm -hmm. because – you know, when you sit around a table and 12 people have on average created multi-hundred million or multi-billion dollar businesses, that's how they were able to create their net worth. They're not looking to be overshadowed by anybody else and they understand in turn they can't overshadow anybody else. They're typically former owners and CEOs, but at this table, they're with peers and it's the only place uh, in their world that really get this kind of personal board of directors of people who are all uh, of similar 
types or levels of accomplishment, although in all different walks of life. And I'd imagine there are a lot of job creators around that table. Absolutely. What are their thoughts right now on unemployment on its face? Looking pretty good. 3.9 percent unemployment. Yet we still have uh, many industries are talking about a a labor shortage because they can't find the skilled workers. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the labor shortage is an important component, but there's always been labor shortages. That has to do with the friction and, you know, how efficient the hiring process is. But the much more fundamental issue, and I don't want to minimize the low unemployment. That's a fantastic uh, benefit. We're now at, I think we've only seen this level of three times in many, many, many years. But what we still have is historically low rates of participation. So the unemployment is masking that there are a lot of people uh, who are not even considered in the labor force which is a much bigger problem. And why that's so important is in the last generation, uh, all of the uh, progress that's been made in our economy has fallen on the upper end. And why is that? Um, This is one of those great economic questions, but the best evidence seems to be that technology, computerization, automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, this suite of phenomenon is removing the the selling power that the working class used to have because now there's a substitute. A machine can do the work. It used to be just muscle workers. Now it's knowledge workers are increasingly uh, being displaced. I, I just called up American Airlines a few weeks ago. I was going on a plane. I didn't say a word. The phone answered, says, this appears to be Michael Sonnenfeld. It looks like you're going to Chicago today on a 220 plane. (laughs) If you're calling to see what's happening, the plane seems to be uh, on time and it's now leaving from gate B7. I didn't even say a word and it knew everything. It was just incredible. So, so, you know, one of the things that uh, concerns our members is uh, to some extent, some of the rhetoric around tariffs and particularly China, Mexico, and India, is so fighting a 20th century war. It's important. China has not been a fair trader. Mm -hmm. It needs to be addressed. But when you look at the amount of attention that's focused on that and how little attention, it turns out only about 20% of the job loss is from trade. 80% of the job loss, that is What's removing the buying power from the working class is from these technological changes, and we haven't come to grips with that. That's one of the great challenges of our time. You mentioned China and that they don't always play fair. Do you agree with the tac- the tactics that, that President Trump is taking with China right now? And how does your group feel about it if you've had a chance to discuss? So, you know, everything has a context. I think if you asked members, do we think China has been uh, – giving a fair playing field, the answer would be no. And if we said, do you think you should address that? The answer would be yes. But whether it's being addressed in exactly the right way and in the context of all the other things going on in Washington, it's very hard to know what the optimal strategy is. So I think most people would give credit to the administration for shining a light on the unfair practices in China but are concerned that it can all too easily uh, fall into a tariff war. And it's pretty clear that uh, the depression in the 30s was accelerated uh, by the laws that were put into place that were protectionist laws. And there's a lot of the same rhetoric coming out 
particularly from uh, the president's team and uh, a lot of the very right-wing people who want protection. I think the real problem is it's a false god. People are assuming that with more protection, there'll be more jobs in America. What they don't realize is with more protection, other countries will become protectionist and some of our exports will not go so that we may get some jobs for for one side, but we may lose other jobs. And the history has shown just recently 1,100 economists from the conservative side sent the president a letter warning about taking protectionism too far because it ultimately could hurt our economy dramatically. What about um, recession? We keep hearing, you know, when's the next recession going to be? A lot of the pundits I've been talking to recently are pegging it to the end of 2019. Uh, what are the Tiger 21 members thinking and how might that change your, your uh, portfolio allocation? Nobody really knows what the answer to that is. And anybody who says they know is a fool, in my opinion. Uh, what what we're trying to do is take a much longer approach. You could take it, call it a Warren Buffett approach, but that's only one thing. Most of our members have built businesses over long periods of time. And uh, as Warren Buffett said, the only thing he's interested in are producing assets. He uh, mentioned at the conference this week, if you put $10,000 in, it would be worth $51 million today. He compared that to gold and to other assets which haven't moved at all. So what our members are focused on is producing assets. And, you know, to give you a sense, as we mentioned, that 12% return that the S&P produced, most of our members have earned 20 and 25% types of returns to create the kind of wealth that qualifies them for Tiger 21. And Warren Buffett, on much larger amounts of money, has been earning 18%. That's the gold standard. So the question in terms of allocation is not what's happening this week and when the next recession is, but where are there durable franchises that have a long run? That's, that's one of the reasons uh, the Apple purchase by Berkshire Hathaway is so interesting because Apple is no longer a hardware company uh, alone. Their services, just the, I think they're just between Apple Pay and I, uh, iTunes, uh, and some of the other services they now have, uh, they came in at $9 billion of revenue. So they've created one of the great companies. It's so small only in relation to the rest of Apple, but it's really growing rapidly. And this ecosystem they have between all of their devices that interoperate like no other company, those are things that are 10- and 20-year franchises that will be really hard to displace. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about competitive moats. Yeah, I mean, Apple has actually become a blue chip bellwether. I don't know yeah. of any of many people who just consider it a tech play anymore. Yeah. Um, what do you, so? If recession is not a big worry on their minds, what are some of the biggest concerns of the Tiger Twenty One members right now? So, uh, I wouldn't say this was the only concern, but in a recent um, meeting, when I was asking people how many have put off or delayed a decision. Uh, pending kind of some of the nonsense in Washington getting a little more resolved. On the one hand, uh, there probably have been periods in this country where we've had the kind of polarization uh, that we have now, but we haven't lived through it in a generation. So this is new for us, I imagine, in the Civil War and at other times. But the difference was in the prior times when that happened, 
you didn't have the instantaneous communication around the world and you didn't have markets that would react instantaneously. So you can have huge overreactions uh, to these kind of things. So, you know, in one sense, uh, if those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, but there are things that are different now and it has to do with the instantaneous 24-hour news cycle and the way that people are buffeting against that uh, 10% cash is is a lot. Uh, it allows you to weather a lot of storms. The reason for cash is so that you don't have to liquidate assets at precisely the wrong time. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a study that said the long-term return in the markets, uh, various numbers, 9, 10, 11%, but the average investor has only earned 3 to 5%. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because human emotions allow in- force investors to sell at precisely the wrong time. If you're going to try and be a market timer, you're likely to sell when a stock is down. That's not when you should sell. Mm -hmm. And you're likely to buy when a stock is up. It should be just the opposite, but that's not how the human emotions work. So it's it's an amazing gap, and that gap is what people should look at when they're thinking about really how much investment prowess they think they have. <laughs> they think they have. That's right. You, you have your book came out last year, Think Bigger, where you offer up some strategies uh, for success, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And you dug into, you've spoke to the members at Tiger 21 and beyond um, for some guidance. And, and I think you just gave us a good example of sort of counterintuitive advice. What's some other counterintuitive uh, pearls of wisdom you can share? Well, the The one that uh, was most profound for me is beginning to understand the difference between great entrepreneurs and great investors. In fact, the great entrepreneurs, um, they have a different risk tolerance and they focus all of their activities on a single opportunity and they milk it for 10, 20, 30 years. That's how they create great wealth. And most great entrepreneurs are almost by nature ill-equipped to be great investors because the skills, the emotions, the reflexes that allowed them to be a great entrepreneur hinder them from (laughs) being a great investor and vice versa. In other words, most investors, uh, great investors, um, they're rational. Uh, They don't want to get too involved in any one investment. They have a portfolio. If they're disciplined, each position is marked for sale. And when the price gets to that, they sell it. very few investors go, go to sleep at night worrying about making a payroll in the morning, and very few investors think of their portfolio as having some extraordinary value between, beyond what it adds up to. But most entrepreneurs see this company and they started it because they wanted to change the world or they wanted to prove they could do something better plus make money. And so when it comes to selling, they generally don't even want to sell it because they're so attached Mm -hmm. to their baby that it takes a a, a real act of either courage or maturity (laughs) to know when it's time to give it up. So I'd say one of the lessons is uh, about that. Uh, One of the other things is that I really liked in the book is uh, as I interviewed more and more Tiger 21 members, I realized that mentors play one of the extraordinary roles that is not deeply appreciated. Uh, I went to MIT undergraduate and graduate uh, in the business school. 
I didn't have a course on mentors. If mm-hmm. somebody had explained to me in business school how important mentors were, that might have been like the single most important thing I could learn at business wow. school. And if you take 100 people and line them up from least successful to most successful in any industry, I virtually guarantee you the half that are most successful overwhelmingly have had mentors and the half that are least successful overwhelmingly have excuses for why they never had mentors. And it's just amazing. At Tiger 21, do you have a mentorship type program or is this something you'd consider? So we, we've announced but haven't yet um, implemented the Tiger 21 Foundation where we're hoping to pair up our members with uh, young entrepreneurs or people considering becoming entrepreneurs. We have uh, 40 groups across North America and now in uh, London and Switzerland and uh, in Asia. And uh, we hope over time to connect each of the groups to young entrepreneurs. In fact, the entire book project, all of the proceeds of the book are going to the Tiger 21 Foundation and uh, any speaking fees are going to the Tiger 21 Foundation. We really feel this is an incredibly important opportunity that we have. Tell people who may not be familiar how you built your wealth. Yeah. Um, So – uh, when I was 17, I was working at a warehouse uh, on the east, on the West River, what uh, the Hudson River, right across from the World Trade Center in Jersey City, about 3,000 feet to the west of the <laughs> New York coast. And at the time, I was meditating at the end of a pier during my lunch. Uh, and on that pier, there were commodities and it was a warehouse. And behind the pier was a building that it was attached to that had been the largest building in the world when it was built in 1929, eclipsed in 1938 by the Pentagon, uh, which then became the largest building. But this was the Northeast Distribution Center for the Pennsylvania Railroad until 1955, and then it became an industrial warehouse. And I had this idea that Wall Street was bursting out at the seams in the early 70s, uh, the World Trade Centers went up, and uh, but there were computer centers, and they were all being moved to the suburbs. And many of the employees who were being moved from Wall Street to the suburbs 30 miles away felt they were being sent to Siberia. And all of a sudden, we were three minutes from downtown by a subway called the Path Train, which is uh, in use. And it took me about eight years to engineer the ability. I found an amazing partner who became the father I never had, although I had a father and the partner of a lifetime and my mentor for 30 years. He was 57. I was 25. We were 50-50 partners. And uh, we uh, commenced what became the largest commercial renovation in the country. And then uh, five years later, sold it in what was heralded as probably the single most successful real estate transaction on a rate of return in New York City history, although it wasn't New York City, it was uh, Jersey City. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then uh, I built a uh, real estate merchant bank uh, into about a billion-dollar portfolio a few years later. So I had two successes, but like many of the members uh, in the book, I had a few failures in between. And one of the other counterintuitive things about entrepreneurs is that um, – they don't see failures as a black mark. They see it as a learning experience. You know, there's the famous story of Thomas Edison trying to create a light bulb a thousand times until he got one to light up. And somebody asked him, how did he feel about failing a thousand times? 
said, I didn't fail a thousand times. I had, I learned a thousand times what wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the great entrepreneurs, it turns out that grit beats IQ almost every time. You can, of course, be stupid and be a successful entrepreneur, but grit is a much better uh, indicator or predictor of success. Mm -hmm. There are many intelligent people, but not many entrepreneurs who are successful if they don't have a lot of grit. I, I absolutely agree. When you think about um, successful entrepreneurs today, I'm just going to throw a, a name at you, Elon Musk. What's sure. you, what, what do you say to Elon Musk? So, you know, what time will tell whether Elon Musk has uh, reached too far, but we shouldn't minimize what he's already done in the space industry. SpaceX single-handedly changed the entire space industry. In fact, before SpaceX came around, it cost about $40,000 to lift one pound into space. With SpaceX, it's down to $1,200 a pound. When you reduce the cost, something like that, it opens up new markets. And uh, uh, as part of Tiger 21's program, we have some great funds come and educate us. Sometimes they're trying to raise money. We were just uh, introduced to a fund that has identified 300 companies that have started because of the new potential of space that's finally commercially viable. So mm-hmm. Musk did something that was never done before. And Tesla, full disclosure, I drive a Tesla. It's probably one of the greatest cars I've ever had. And I've sold the company. I've shorted the stock. Mm. Again, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. But I've only shorted the stock with, with a heavy heart because I thought the price of the stock didn't bear a proper resemblance to the extraordinary potential of the stock. You know, some people look beyond that to the very long term and say it'll work out. I hope I, I hope it does because what he's done is amazing. The electric vehicle, he's led that revolution. So here's somebody who, uh, like Steve Jobs in the uh, technical uh, electrical industry, here's somebody who's taken two completely different industries and been the leading entrepreneur. And he'll and more if this boring company works with uh, underground subways that are hyper hyperloop, mm-hmm. that'll be three. And I suspect there's there's even more than that. But just alone, what he's done in space and what he's done in the electric vehicle uh, marks him as certainly one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our day. And if Tesla finally gets its act together, he'll be one of the greatest entrepreneurs of all time. And before we let you go, I just want to say what Tiger stands for. Sure. The Investment Group for Enhanced Results in the 21st Century. Did you come up with that name? I did. I like it. It says it. It's all right there. But to sum things up, do your members, how do your members feel? Are they optimistic right now about the market and the economy going forward? Look, our members have a bred optimism for the long term and hope that the storms that inevitably pop up won't derail that long-term optimism. But they're concerned about, you know, the storms that, uh, uh, not just Stormy Daniels, but the storms (laughs) that, uh, you know, that are floating around. But fundamentally, they think the only antidote to long-term appreciation is owning real assets that are producing real products and services Uh, And that's what they're looking for. The fundamentals. The fundamentals. And uh, lastly, for uh, a budding entrepreneur listening to this now who's in the middle of their failures, quote unquote, right, learning learning experiences, um, what's your advice to them? Hang in there. Make sure you believe in what you're doing. 
and make sure that the reason for doing it is not simply to make money. Nothing wrong with wanting to make money. But if the idea doesn't have the potential to change an industry, change the world, make the world a better place, uh, improve on something that's already being done, don't just focus on the money-making potential. That's certainly important. But make sure you have some other fundamentals along the way. Like passion, too? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Michael Sonnenfeld of Tiger 21, thanks so much. I learned a lot for spending this time with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.